Welcome into the 11 Dubcasts presented by the Dry Goods Store at 11warriors.com. Shirts, hats, stickers, and more. Drygoods.11warriors.com. I am Bo. He is Johnny. We will talk thrones. <laughs> we will talk thrones. Um, yeah. And, and we will talk it at length. And I think we have an interesting perspective on it uh, because of, of the places that, that Johnny and I come from on it, whereas he is a book reader and I was not. And so I think that... Um, you know, that, that that will lead to some interesting dialogue in terms of how we got where we ended up and if it feels like it was right. So we'll get to that coming up. We'll get to your Ask Us Anythings as well. Um, but unfortunately, we have to have to start with, or we choose to start with a story that, Johnny, frankly, I am having a tough time um, understanding how I get my pound of flesh on this thing. And it's the Richard Strauss investigation. And last Friday, the findings of the university's investigation were made public. A $6.2 million investigation that was released on Friday, 232 pages, um, found that at least 177 male students had been sexually abused by Strauss over the 20 years that he was the, uh, the doctor at Ohio State, um, that those in power allowed for it, knew of it, dating all the way back to 1979, knew of it and chose to do nothing uh, to stop it or prevent it. And it, he was allowed to um, basically wreak havoc for 20 years. Um, yeah. the, the tricky part about it, um, about this, Johnny, it, for me is because he's been dead since 2005, because the reporting, the report that I have seen, I don't see anything that names names of who enabled. So Ohio State as a whole enabled, but individually, <clears throat> right. I mean, Gordon Gee says he has no recollection of this guy trying to get his job back and giving him some emeritus status. Gee says he has no memory of that. Gee would have been the president at that time. If he doesn't like, I, I don't know where the pound of flesh comes from. Um, and but so, I, but I don't want that to minimize that this happened. Right. Well, so here's here's what I would say as, as far as the pound of flesh goes, because I mean, obviously, when you see something that's horrific and, and ridiculous, you look for someone to blame and. When you don't have that, I, I I really am glad that they decided to follow through with this investigation and take it to its conclusion and spend the money and spend the time to get it done correctly, because what it does is not provide us with a person that we can you know throw in jail and say this okay you're the bad guy and now we've solved yeah. this problem. It forces us to look at this and go this was a problem. This is a societal problem. This is a, a systemic problem within Ohio State that was not addressed for decades. And horrific behavior was allowed to continue because it just wasn't something that was talked about. It wasn't something that was um, investigated or followed through. And when people made complaints, they were laughed off. And it's just it, it speaks to an overall culture that I mean, I don't think it's unique to Ohio State. I think that's something no. that you would see in a lot of places. But it's that that's why it's so important to have these types of investigations and conclusions even today, even even years after the death of a lot of the people who are involved in this, because it, it speaks to something bigger in our society and um, what was going on at Ohio State in general and what could still be going at Ohio State. I mean, let's not like I don't want to pretend like, you know, Ohio State, because this happened in the past and because we can't, you know, put a guy in cuffs and throw him in jail. That means that it's not happening you know, in a place that we really hope that it wouldn't because it could be. And, and we have to be aware of that. We have to be vigilant. Yes. Yes. All of those things. Um, and yet someone will pay and they're going to pay financially and it will be the yeah. university that ends up paying for this. And the reason we know that is because Michael Wright's a Dayton attorney who represents as many as 50 former athletes 
many of whom are um, most of whom actually, according to the Associated Press on Saturday, were football players and some went on to play in the NFL. Um, so this would again be from 79 to 98. Um, we had Mike DeSabato on. We've had him we on did, the podcast. Yeah. Uh, Ramsey has talked to him at length. He is quoted in this um, in this story as well, um, in the AP story about it. And he is someone who really fought to bring this to light. Um, and and so he, you know, these people are going to get retribution for this. Um, and so financially will be the way that this is this is made right. Now, for perspective, the Michigan State Nasser, um, you got you got justice as good as justice can be got. He had to stand there while the little while the, the women who he did that to stood there and told him what he did and that it didn't wreck him. He had to sit there and take it. Then he got life in prison, and then the Michigan State paid out four hundred million dollars in in penalties to the right. victims. Um, so something like that will happen here. And, and something like that will happen I mean, here. Not, yeah, I don't I know mean, if it'll be four hundred million, but a large sum of money will be split up amongst these people. Yeah, and and I think I think that is completely justified. I think there's a lot of people who have looked at the Sabato and even anybody really with skepticism when it comes to this. Because like, oh well, this happened decades in the past. Like, why are you bringing this up? It must be all about money. Look, the that is one of the biggest issues with bringing these types of um, you know. Now, I don't want to say scandals, but crimes to light is that people are so reluctant to talk about them because of the scrutiny and because of the, uh, you know, the really the admonishment and the skepticism that they get. I mean, it's yeah, there's going to be a payout. And I think what's going to happen is you're going to see a lot of people dismiss what happened in the conclusions of the report because of that. And I think that's just wrong. You've got to be yeah. able to allow people time to process and to handle things in their own time. And, and look, sometimes that takes a long time. That takes a really, really long time. But, you know, if if you believe that a, I think it was over $6 million investigation, right, uh, you know, came to the correct conclusion and that this, there's ample evidence to suggest that there was, you know, not just a couple of incidences of crimes here, but dozens and dozens and dozens and like over, well over 150, 100, what, 177 was what it was said. If you believe that, then what happened and what all these people were saying was completely justified. And if that's the case, then that's on us now to take victims and, and people who say that these things have happened a lot more seriously, because that shows like a huge, a huge failure on our part collectively to, to really handle this in a timely manner. And again, I, people are going to look at the financial payout. They're going to look at the time involved and go, oh, that's, I don't know about that, but you, that's whole part of it. Like you can't, because of that attitude is why it takes so long. And I just, it, it's sad to me that, um, you know, an institution like Ohio State, which I think in the past, I, I don't know how necessarily it, it worked in the 70s, 80s, and 90s, but I know in the past 10 to 15 years has really tried to pride itself on transparency, or at least tried to anyway. Um, it, it is a pretty big black eye and it's something they should remember, frankly. Yes. Yes. Yeah, it should be around, it should be around the collective neck of the university for sure. Yeah. It shouldn't be something that's white that's washed away with, you know, one statement from President Drake or anything like that. And frankly, it may be more than that, because um, the other factor of this is U.S. Department of Education, uh, the Office of Civil Rights. They're examining whether Ohio State responded uh, promptly and fairly to students complaints. The department could cut the university's federal funding if it is found to have violated civil rights protection. So that's a part of this as well. Um, as you look at this thing, I, I think what you find 
in these things. And we, as it turns out, we are just as guilty um, as, you know, Paterno or Nasser or any of it, right? Sure. Because what it basically shows is that it, it's it's the classic ninety the nineties movie The Firm. You saw this with Tom Cruise, <laughs> right? And yeah. he's and and so he's the Harvard. If you haven't seen it, if you're one of the kids out there, he's he's a number one Harvard Law School kid. Gets uh, recruited to go. It's got an amazing score, by the way. Uh, recruited to go be an attorney at a Memphis-based law firm. That's clearly a big baller law firm. He finds out pretty quickly that it's a that the law firm does a lot of illegal money laundering for a Chicago mob outfit. He finds it out pretty quickly. And one of the old school lawyers, just ironically enough, happens to be Wilford Brimley, comes up to him <laughs> right. and says he takes him out in the middle of the nowhere and he basically threatens him with his wife and all about his wife and all this stuff. And then says, Don't ever go against the firm, Mitch. Don't ever go against the firm. And that is, in a sense, what what big time college athletics or universities and it's they're no different than big business big right. business it's anybody you protect the university at all cost at all cost even if it's over individual complaint what is stunning about this what is stunning about nasser what is stunning to a lesser degree about sandusky because sandusky was directly tied he was a football coach on joe paterno's watch Nasser and Strauss are doctors for God's sakes. Yeah. Get another doctor at the first sign of this. Get another doctor. 79, one complaint gone. Get another doctor. What would well, his leverage have been? It's not with, with Sandusky. At least I understand the Penn state trying to cover it up because it would have tarnished Joe. Right. And they're trying to protect Joe. These guys don't tarnish Woody or Earl or Coop. They don't tarnish I any of them. I think the good old boy network can exist in any form anywhere. And and when you have a large organization, I don't care whether it's a business or a university or a public institution or anything like that. When you've got people with connections who have been embedded in their jobs for a long time, they will have people who will protect them. And in this case, obviously what, what happened was horrific. And here's what I'll say. I, to me, that's all predictable. I, I don't think, I am surprised by I'm I am never surprised by someone who does really terrible things. I don't care what position they're in, as long as they have friends and high places or they've at least been in the position they've been in for a long time, somebody knows them well enough to, you know, basically, you know, cover up for what they're doing, which is sad. Yeah. But what I would say is that as high state fans, alumni, et cetera, that doesn't mean we have to go along with it. We don't have to say, well, okay, they're, they're a Buckeye or they're, you know, they're a Nittany lion or something like that. So we're going to have to have some level of skepticism or, you know, we'll have to listen to their story or anything like that. And I don't think any of that's happening with like guys like Nasser and whatnot, but that definitely happened at Penn state where it was like, well, you know, they're a Nittany lion. It's Joe Paterno's guy. Like, you know, he was a coach. Yeah. Like, we've got it. We've got, we're obligated to back this dude up. And I, I just think that as a society, as, as a group of fans and people who love this university, we, we cannot do that. And again, I don't think there's necessarily danger of that happening here because you're not going to have Ohio state fans go like, Oh, well, you know, we can, this is a guy we really like. Like nobody knows who this dude is. I don't think, you know, most Ohio state fans were even aware of this guy's name before it popped up uh, with this investigation. But I just, again, I think it's a reminder for Ohio state fans and people in general that we got to be vigilant and that we can't allow our, you know, allegiance to Ohio state to kind of, you know, blur the lines here. I mean, there's some pretty clear violations and and no good old boy network and no, you know, 
none of this stuff that we really like about Ohio State should blind us to the fact that some really, really terrible things can also happen here as well. And that's that's just something you always got to be on on guard for. Yeah, you do. And it's um, it's interesting, though, is because what you try to do is and I, you, you, we were talking about the Penn State stuff. And, right. um, you know, what Penn State tried to do is, is basically say, hey, you know, Jerry, let's let's have you. How about you retire? Right. Give you a nice, we'll give you a nice cushy job and let's, let's have you don't retire. call the police. Don't, yeah, yeah. don't, don't, let's have, don't make a involved. big stink. Like, let's just, let's have you retire. And we basically did the same thing with Strauss. Right. Strauss, he's, he's, he's gone, right? He's then, then starts writing letters to Gee, and Gee rejects his letters. This is what the report says. But Strauss was allowed to retire with emeritus status and mark of honor. Which like, is insane. A, it's nuts. <laughs> Like, it's crazy. Just to, what, it's crazy. quiet. Like, of course, that's why. So that he wouldn't say anything, and you know, he'd be, go disappear on the West Coast and eventually kill himself. Um, look, it's um, it's something. I, the how do you get resolution? What you want in these things is resolution, and that's why this one's a tough talk because yeah. the the resolution will not be one of of you know Curly and uh, Graham Spanier be getting hauled off to jail or Jerry Sandusky right. being hauled off to jail. The man's dead. There's nothing most of the people who enabled in the position of leadership are probably dead too. There's not right. any there's not any there's nothing to get. There's nobody to haul off to jail in shackles. You saw the wire, right? Yeah. Yeah. You remember the wire when like it's been too long since they've had a big bust, and then when they get a bust, <laughs> right. it almost doesn't matter if they nail anybody, they just want to see yeah. all the cocaine on and all the heroin on the on the desk. Right. And that's the whole show. You know, we don't get that. You're not gonna get that show. You got that in the Penn state case, you got that in Nasser. You're not going to get it here. The The people, the people to be punished are already gone. Right. No, so it's a want, very tricky you want one. A conclusion. Your conclusion has to be a renewed effort to make sure that this kind of stuff doesn't happen. And that's not sexy. And you can't put that, you can't put yeah. that on the front page of paper. You can't have the, you know, 10 that's TV right. news come in and take a picture of everybody, at Ohio state, you know, kind of renewing their commitment to this stuff. But that's the point. It's difficult to do that. It is difficult to be vigilant, to take your jobs as mandated reporters responsibly and seriously, right? And consistently, like I'm a mandated reporter. I'm a, I'm a high school teacher. I have to talk about this stuff. If I yeah. even get a hint of this stuff on my job, I report it immediately because that's my yeah. job. And, and it's, to, it's in the service of protecting kids. So what bothers me is when you have people who are ostensibly in that same situation, that same position of protecting people and, and, and being mandated reporters, not at all taking their job seriously and really only caring more about their companion, you know, their friendship, their, their partnership with people that they have known for a long time. And it, I just don't, I have not gotten to the point in my life, Bo, where I can think of anybody that I could know about that kind of behavior from and then, and not, immediately do something about it. i i just i just yeah. I cannot fathom being at that point in my life where i could know about a guy like strauss or nasser and say you know what but you know i've worked with this guy for 20 years like i can't i cannot get my head around that it just blows no. my mind no yeah it does um i think also the other one one last point on this i think we're also in an a in an era where almost there are no secrets for anyone Right. Because of how easy it is to get the word out for the entire time that this man's reign of terror was going on on campus, there was almost no way to get the message out. Yeah. Like, who's going to investigate this? The Columbus Dispatch or the three television stations? That's it. 
Right. Or there are I no mean, other or the lantern possibly, but yeah, the mean, lantern. Gonna, they're not going to take them seriously. Like there's so. not, a, there's not enough there, now this type of stuff gets exposed. Right. Which is fantastic. You know, you can't, you can't cover this type of stuff up anymore. And I think um, that also goes to the, the, the fact that it takes so long to get some of these stories out because again, it, you're, you're 100% correct. 80s and 90s, you know, somebody approaches a, a TV station or something like that with this kind of story. I mean, they may just blow it off because they're like, well, how do we investigate this? Like, where's the paper drill? How can we figure yeah. out, like, you know, are there any texts between you know, there? That doesn't exist. No. So it's a lot more it's a lot more difficult to invest those types of claims during that period of time. Whereas, as you said now, I mean, there's there's a lot more available to people to kind of investigate and dive deep into this. So that is a good thing. And, and, and I know that you know, a lot of these news organizations are a lot more proactive in investigating these types of claims, especially in lieu of the organization themselves investigating yeah. these claims, which, again, shouldn't be the norm that they, the, the organization should be willing to take that investigation on themselves and, and be proactive. But it is nice. It is good that, you know, people have better access to those, uh, you know, the people who are willing to investigate their claims, which is definitely a positive, I think. Absolutely. So um, with that, uh, do you have some ask us anything? Do we have ask us anything that is not Game of Thrones related? Because we'll save those for the Thrones segment. We do have ask us anything that are Game of Thrones or that are not Game of Thrones related. So if you guys want to continue sending those in, please do so. Um, You can ask us anything uh, to dubcast at 11warriors.com or at 11dubcast. We'll start with Alvin here. We'll we'll break things up a little bit. Uh, Alvin. Uh, Our good friend Alvin is uh, wanting to know if we have any tips for preventing and combating jet lag. He's going to Asia soon, and he just needs some advice. Oh, jeez. What is the Uh, longest? I want to ask you, what is the longest plane trip you've ever taken? uh, Shorter than yours, I assure you. It was from L.A. to uh, Bora Bora, which was nine hours. Okay. That's still that's a pretty that's still pretty long. Yeah, but it wasn't like going to Japan. Yeah. Um. What was you'd have a better answer for this? All I remember it was for my honeymoon, and the only thing I remember about was like it was Air Tahiti, which I think was the only plane that flew into there, and (laughs) and the 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 seats were pretty good. And I just remember like trying to get up and walk around, and that you know, and and the people are pretty open with that on the long flights. That's really the only thing that I remember. Here's so this is what I understand. I don't like flying. I really, I mean, I don't, I don't hate it, and I'll do it, right? You know, because yeah, I went to Italy last summer, and uh, obviously I lived in Japan for a year, and I, I flew back and forth. Actually, I went for Christmas uh, while I was living in Japan and back, so I've done that flight a couple times, and that's about a thirteen and a half hour flight. I was from Detroit to Tokyo. I will say this: I um. When I did those flights to Japan and back, that was like 2010-ish. So the flights that are on, I mean, they aren't the super fancy, you know, screen in the back of the seat kind of thing where you can kind of just relax and chill and watch as many movies as you want. I didn't get any of that. I watched, uh, I think, Cloudy with a Chance of Meatballs at least six times. <laughs> so I don't, I don't have, I don't have a lot of advice on making the flights any better. Yeah, because, uh, you know, I think they are what they are. You're kind of just in a confined space for a lot of hours and it kind of sucks. Uh, here's what I will say about jet lag. Um, I am actually really good about dealing with time changes. That's never been a problem for me. I, I, no, when I was a I'm kid. Yeah. When I was a kid, I've, I've been to San Diego probably eight or nine times at this point in my life. I've got family that live out there. I've been there a lot. And that's never been an issue for me. Even when I went to Japan, it was an issue for me. I think what I do is that 
first of all, I don't like flying, so I'm kind of nervous about it. But I try to stay awake once I get there because I cannot sleep on planes. Um, I try to stay awake until the normal like sleep time. Yeah. So even yep. if it's like something right crazy, like I get there at 10 in the morning and I haven't slept on the plane, I'm, I will will myself awake. I will do everything I can to stay awake until like six, seven o'clock at night and then I'll crash. But by then, if you sleep for, you know, 12 hours or whatever, well, you're okay, well, you just, yeah, you're back. You just woke up at a normal time. So I try to just stay awake until the optimal sleeping time and then crash for half a day if I have to, and then get up and, and I'm usually good to go. So that's my, yeah. that's my advice. I could give you the diehard advice, take off your shoes and, and, you know, crunch your toes, but, um, <laughs> that's pretty much all I got. So, all right. So this is, uh, <laughs> this is interesting. Um, all right, so this is uh, from Dan. Dan basically wants to know if you're an Ohio State uh, head coach, right? And, and yep. you've got these these pseudo responsibilities. He's talking about like OTRs and or o, what OTAs is that what they call at in the NFL level? Yep. Right. Yep. What what are the responsibilities of an Ohio State coach in the offseason? and what are the implied responsibilities of an Ohio State coach in the offseason? Like the head coach? Well, just is that or like even Ryan just Day or any like, assistant. Do, I think what he's asking is how do they manage the, the Marathi. You know, yeah. How do they manage the times when they're like not really supposed to be coaching? Well, but it's kind of like you should yeah. be doing something. So I, I don't they can't the coaches can't really have any football contact. And the right. idea is is that the coaches aren't supposed to I mean, this is all a bunch of bullshit, let's be honest. But right. I mean, well, that's what I'm saying. I, and I, that's why I think it's a good is, question. Yeah, it is a good question. The idea is is that the strength coach to tell you how all right, real quick, this okay. is how far college football has changed and how far it's come, I think negatively in the 20 years since I've been covering it. Okay. When I first got to cover Florida state in 2001, the football players went home for the summer. They went home. (laughs) They weren't on campus. They weren't being trained year round. They went home. And then slowly some started to stay and there'd be little pockets of guys who started to stay well, now entire teams stay. And while it is not a, re- if you were watching on the stream, quote, a requirement, it basically is. Yeah. And optional is not optional. You will be there. And they, a lot of them use it to take classes too, because then it can lessen the load in football season. And they can take, you know, three credits, six credits in football season, and they load up in the summer. So that happens too. The way that it's supposed to work is the coaches are not supposed to have seen them really from spring football until first day of camp, like they've not to have seen what they've been up to, but of course they do. I mean, you, you really think urban when he was around was going to like not go see what JT Barrett or Dwayne Haskins was doing in the summer. Yeah. Or at the very least, like text him and like, say, right. Hey, right. How did it go today? And things like well, that. I mean, he's in the, he's in the building. Right. He didn't stop by. I mean, yeah, right. <laughs> come just on. In his office. Oh, like, God, it's, I wonder what's going on outside. It's just it was really fun. Frankly, I preferred it the other way when the kids could have their own lives. I mean, college football was was it's no better now than it was then. Um, and the kids kind of could have their own lives. They could go home in the summer. But we're long past that now. And I don't think we're putting that genie back in the bottle. So to yeah. answer your question, what they're supposed to do and what they actually do are two very different things. What they're supposed to do is they're supposed to hand the team to Mickey Marotti. He basically makes them stay all they basically make them stay all summer and train all summer at Ohio State. And he puts them through body by Mick. Right. Yeah, which 
I mean, I'm with you, dude. Like, I, I think it's, I think it's dumb, and I, I, I know that's kind of part of the, you know, deal now. I mean, that's just how. If you don't do it, everybody else is doing it, and you feel like you're falling behind, and blah blah blah. But I just, I agree with you. I, I think it's crazy that there's so much voluntold stuff, and there's so many, you know, the, this implied. Well, it's vol, you know, you don't have to. It doesn't really make a difference either way. We're not going to like judge your position on the team based on whether you do it or not. And it's just a lie. Like it's all just bold faced lies. And I, I hate that. Like if you're going to be honest about making kids stay in the summer, at least have some kind of structure and at least, I don't know, be upfront about it. Either, either don't do it. Like actually, you know, enforce that if you're the NCAA or if you're going to tacitly allow it, set up some, some kind of structure so that they have some kind of semblance of a life, you know, in the off season where they don't have to worry about all that crap. Yeah, because it's just to me, it's excessive. And I just think it's a little, a little silly. So, um, so that's, th- those are the non thrones. Ask right. us anything questions. We do have a couple actual thrones. Ask us anything. So how do you want to do this? Do you want to, do you want to give our impressions first? And then let's like, do this. You know, let's take okay. a, let's take a quick break and remind you to visit the 11 warriors dry goods store for shirts, hats, stickers, and more dry goods at 11 warriors.com. Also don't forget to follow the 11 Dubcast on Twitter and rate and subscribe on iTunes or wherever you get your podcast. Okay, it is done. Uh, the 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 <laughs> most fun I've ever had watching television in my life is over. Game of Thrones is over. The season finale has happened. Um, it set all sorts of ratings records. It is probably probably the most ambitious thing ever put on television, and it provided me with more joy than anything I've watched. There are, there were episodes like the hours leading up to the battle of Winterfell, where I really couldn't think about anything else. and was legitimately nervous. Um, there were moments, there were moments like the red wedding and the purple wedding and Ned getting his head lopped off that you, you sat in silence in a black room and just went, what in the hell just happened? There are incredible episodes like the season six finale where Cersei blows up the sept of Baylor where Jon Snow is crowned king of the north where Danny lights the bay on fire in marine and then takes oh, yeah. three dragons the Dothraki the Unsullied the alliances with the Tyrells and the Dorn to Westeros to conquer okay <laughs> that's that all of it it had all of that and it was spectacular Johnny in my view what transpired in the last season, especially the last three episodes, was as big a failure as I've seen in television, despite numerous moments that were just stunning to visibly watch. Like in this last episode when Danny is revealed and Drogon's behind her with the oh yeah, just kind of open. I mean, it's a stunning visual um thing. But if if your story and um, this is where I want to start with this because I think it's the fundamental problem I have with this, among many, but it's the fundamental one. <laughs> Your story is a song of fire and ice, okay? If it doesn't matter who Jon Snow's parents are, then you've failed. Yeah. And it didn't matter. The way that they told this story, it didn't matter. The only significance of Jon Snow's lineage was used as a plot device to turn Danny mad. That's it. There was nothing else that he did. There was no reason to bring him back from the dead. None of it. it none of it meant anything based on the way that they told the story. And I don't believe that that, I don't believe that end merited the means that we were treated to before. Yeah. Well, can I ask you this before I get into this a little bit? 
yeah. is this what you thought was going to happen after the previous week? Is that the ending that you thought you were going to get? Not necessarily with Brand on the throne how, or all that. Did you think John oh, was yeah. going to kill Danny? I predicted that John had to kill Danny. Okay. For sure. Yeah. I mean, okay. and, and again, we went over it last week. The problems with I had I had with her breaking bad the way she broke. Sure. Yeah. And which I, we talked about that last week. I don't really need to rehash it. But once sure. that happens, then he clearly has to kill her. So this yeah. is exactly how I thought this would end. Pretty straightforward. Um, it, honestly, if if the series would have ended, I still would have. There would have been a lot of narrative things I had that, and timing things that made no damn sense at all. Like among the million things, like the damn Dothraki. Apparently, I mean, they were all decimated. Now they're all back. <laughs> There's five thousand of them now. There were none. Now yeah. they're all back. Unsullied still look pretty formidable. They were annihilated, <laughs> right? Right. So, I mean, all of that stuff, but that's just nitpick nonsense. The big narrative arc of the show, if it had ended with him stabbing her in the heart, Drogon burning the throne, and Drogon and even John on Drogon, if you want, or whatever, some combination of that, flying out and fade to black, fine. Leave it nebulous. I mean, I, I didn't need... I didn't need, it was like they did 40 minutes of that and then let's fade to black and then let's come up on the most absurd council in the history of the world that makes no damn sense. All of a sudden, Grey Worm's holding us captive? Who gives a damn what Grey Worm? Are you kidding me? You're Grey Worm. Get the hell out of here. You're not going to dictate terms. John, John is the rightful heir. He should have abdicated the, fr- the throne, if that's the case. He should have yeah. said, I don't want it. He shouldn't have had, why is he following, why is he listening to anybody? Anybody. Well, it's ridiculous. So, what, what, so then, one last thing. Yeah, go for it. Tyrion, who is going to die and says, I don't deserve to be king, then t- basically lays out this whole story of who should be king, and it's who has the best stories, and it's Bran. Okay, fine, Bran. A guy who on the show did not exist for an entire season. Was not even <laughs> in a season, right? right. Was recently yeah, completely his, gone. Who was recently, as three, three episodes ago, says, I'm not Brandon Stark. I'm not even human. I live in the past. I don't want anything. And then three episodes later says, why do you think I'm here? That's right. <laughs> so that's all right. Go, go ahead. No, no, I have free. No, I appreciate. I appreciate the rant. And I, I think, look, I, I don't disagree with 90% of that. I, I, I think the show itself, you were just trying to cram so much narrative into like three episodes and here. Okay. So I, I do kind of want to go back to the Danny thing real quick because I was thinking about this after the uh, after the episode ended and I, I figured people would be more angry about her being killed by John than maybe they were. I think most people are just kind of like, okay, whatever at that point. Yeah. But I remember, so this is back, God, I don't remember what season this was. This might have been season three or four, but essentially where she you know starts kind of liberating these cities like Marine and whatnot. And there's this, yeah. I think it was the episode called like Misha where they, like the mother or whatever and you've got all these people yeah all these people like you know kind of crowded around her and you've got that great overhead shot of her in the middle of this crowd look if you what bothers me about this ending is that if you want to read that that scene in a different way that could be establishing Danny's eventual like madness, right? Like that by mm-hmm. by being adored by so many people and going like hell yeah, like I I deserve yeah. you know this is great and this is awesome and I don't really yep. care about the little people. Sure. Then that's fine, but don't don't then go on and say like oh man, I'm really sorry my dragon ate a little kid because that's something she shouldn't really care about. If no, that's she what shouldn't. Trying to get to this point, that's exactly and right. I, so 
it's interesting to me because in retrospect, I mean, why would she lock episode, up the dragons, Johnny? Well, that's what I'm saying. In the episode, why would she go? Who gives Tyrion, a damn? Tyrion specifically cites, and this is kind of like the writers justifying their choices, but Tyrion specifically cites events that are supposed to be examples of Danny kind of losing it. And he's like, all right, well, he killed all the, you know, the masters of Moraine and crucified all those people. And then he, uh, you know, and, and she burnt down the cows and stuff like that. And everybody's, you know, cheering her because they were bad people. But now she goes off and does this. I'm like, yeah, they were cheering her because that's the way the show constructed it. The show constructed her yeah. as this righteous, you know, terrific person. There was no hint of her doing anything bad or that she was, you know, that she was None gleeful of about any of this. And it's just, it's funny to me because that element does exist in the books a little bit. And that's where some of the, the hints of this mad queen comes from. It's not, there's not a lot, a lot of textual evidence, but she clearly enjoys this in the books. In the book, she, she's like, hell yeah, I, I crucified those people. It was awesome. And yeah. so that's where some people are like, okay, that's, that's where we can establish some of this. My point with all this, my point with this, my own personal rant is that you've got essentially probably three seasons of content of narrative content that they could get to. And they did it in about a season and a half. And it, it's just, it's not believable. And again, and the, the imagery, yeah, the imagery, the stuff that you're seeing, okay, that's, it's great. And, and some of the character beats are great, but it's just like somebody hit fast forward on this series about, you know, five episodes ago. And it's like, there's so much tonal whiplash from what they were trying to accomplish. And I just, you know, I don't know how they're going to play out in the books. I don't know what George R. R. Martin's going to do. Um, I really, I, I I think the end game of a Stark in the, you know, a beyond the wall and a Stark in the North and a Stark in the South, I think that is the ultimate end game. I think that makes a lot of sense. I think Danny is going to get killed in the books. I think that makes sense. Yeah. Uh, I think a lot of the other window dressing is going to be very different. So, so let we'll me ask you some pointed questions as a book. Yeah, go for it. All right. In the books, is Bran portrayed differently than he is here? Because in the, in the show, he is the three-eyed raven now. Right. He's not Bran Stark. So Bran the Broken, who gives it? He's not Bran. Right. He's, I'm not Bran Stark. So how he says, I don't want for anything, but then he clearly acknowledges that he wants for this. Why do you think I'm here? The show goes to great lengths to say and the spirit of this i would say is the three main people are danny Tyrion, and john right those yep. are your three main narrative people they're the three most important characters in the show based on the way that they portrayed this thing right all right. three of those people are bastards broken imp i mean against all odds and i would say one of the great things about this is no matter who you are the the the, me the message is you can you can attain anything well Tyrion goes on to say, she thinks she's she thinks she's preordained to do this. That's in his big speech to John. Meantime, yeah. the guy Tyrion put on the throne says he sees everything. <laughs> right. So what the hell? How does that so, add up? So in the books, in the books, Bran has just reached the Three-Eyed Raven. Like he has just gotten to the Three-Eyed Raven. He has had no real communication with the Three-Eyed Raven. They just they've just arrived at the at the tree. That's it. Mm -hmm. So th there is no indication at this point. The other thing to keep in mind, Bran is really young in the books. Like in the show, obviously you've got this time skip and he's like in his twenties and stuff by the time the show ends in the books, he's still a scared little kid. Like he's basically like eight or nine years old. He's, he's really, really young. Okay. And so it's interesting because the books, 
George R. R. Martin admitted that this was a mistake, that he had made the characters way too young, that he should have aged them up a little bit. But what that does is, is that when you get point of view chapters from Bran, I mean, he's a kid, he's a little kid, and he observes everything around him as a little kid would. And he has this kind of nascent crush on, you know, the, uh, what's the name of the, the, uh, the girl that they're going with Mira, right. He's got a, he's got a teeny little nascent crush, but it's a little kid crush. Like he doesn't know anything about love or anything like that. And so what's interesting about that to me, and I think what a lot of book readers were excited about is like, how is this little kid going to deal with this kind of monstrous power that he's going to get and that he's going to have to deal with. Um, Whereas in the show, it's like, okay, well, he's clearly going to use it to like kick some ass. And so that's, I I don't think you're going to see that in the books. I don't think it's possible to see that in the books. Um, Another really interesting element in the books that that was not explored is Lady Stoneheart. Lady Stoneheart is is Catelyn Stark, who is has been reanimated uh, by the Brotherhood, and she, she's running around just tearing shit up and killing people and, and murdering them and stuff. Yeah. And where they leave off in the <clears throat> in the books is she's captured Brienne and Podrick, and she's basically like convinced them to get Jamie to come. Like you know she's. She's convincing the trick Jamie to like come to her so she can like mess with Jamie. So there's a lot of stuff going on there that the narrative directions, I think, are going to be very different to lead to the same point. And I really think that you just saw a lot of expediency. Like they really were just, you know, there's no reason. I don't think I cannot for the life of me think that Davos or Brienne are going to be present at some kind of council at the end of these books to decide who the King of Westeros is going to be. If they get to that point, they got to do a hell of a lot of work to justify that because that was, I mean, they're just literally, like even Davos even comments on it. He's like, well, I'm not really sure I get a vote here. I'm not quite positive why I'm here. Yeah, But yeah, hell, yeah, let's go for it. <laughs> like, just some sort of council and and they're defending themselves yeah. to Grey Worm? Yeah. Like, are you kidding me? For Grey Worm. All right. How do you answer? How do you make wrap your head around Jon Snow's lineage having no meaning? I did not kill the Night King. Yeah, Danny would have fallen in love with. She fell in love with him, not knowing who he was. He didn't right. need to be a Targaryen to kill her. What? How do you wrap? How do you? How do you recollect that? So. I don't. I don't. For the show, I have. I, I think that's just. I don't get it. Uh, for the books. There's a lot of prophecies. Uh, you know, there's one about like Nissa Nassa and the, the the sword that was forged by, you know, like plunging, you know, a sword in, into his lover's heart. I forget what the name of the guy who did this was back in the, you know, the the first age of men or whatever. But he basically defeats these these Nightwalkers by creating this unbeatable sword by plunging it into his lover's heart and, and creating this flaming sword. And that's kind of what Stannis was supposed to be, uh, according to uh, Melisandre. But um, that's the reason why John is important to that prophecy is because the reason why his father, um, decided to, you know, abscond with a Stark woman is because he believed he was fulfilling this prophecy to create this, like his offspring would be the next, like, you know, legendary hero to defeat the Night's King. So I don't know. I, I mean, maybe George R. R. Martin, the books will try to make some point about how like, well, prophecies don't mean Jack and that's stupid which fine, whatever. But uh, for the books that, that factors really heavily into a central prophecy um, in the narrative. And I don't know if they're really going to go through with it or not. I don't know if that means John needs to like kill Danny in the books to, you know, fulfill this mythical prophecy to kill the King. But that would even have made sense in the show. 
Yeah, and here's the other thing: Night King doesn't exist in the books yet. We all we know about the White Walkers is that they're just this faceless horde. We we have not been introduced to the Night's King at all, so he may not even exist in the books. It's just a, um, it's just an incredible failure of narrative. In, yeah, in it, is. Um, it is. It is. And I just think they got sick of the show, and I, I think they I think wanted to right. make their they wanted to make their Confederate alternate history show. They wanted to write Star Wars movies, and they, yep. you know they were like, okay, we're done. Let's just We're done with this. And, and instead of somebody saying they had so much power, and instead of somebody at HBO saying, look, we got to give this to somebody else so this ends right. Right. Um, and there's a million different right ways, right? I mean, this can end a million different. They're, they're, I'm not saying that I didn't need a happy ending. No. I don't need that. Um, but it the, the last 40 minutes of that show, all right, everything up to the last 40 minutes, in my view, is incredibly rushed. I stand by everything I said about Danny, that there's no... Absolutely no, nothing in the show, the way it was presented, that would lead you to believe she was capable of that. We should right. have seen it. We should have seen her vengeful, burning humans to ground for no reason. We should have seen all of that. We didn't. Yeah. We were treated to none of it. And so we have no idea her frame of mind. We have no idea what made her, triggered her to make her go mad. There's none of it. Okay. Yeah, fine. that's really and I, with sorry, all of that. I want to interrupt just real quick. That That is a, another thing that absolutely bothered me as well, is that she is so far removed from the narrative in the last two episodes. <laughs> right like you don't get any perspective from her and that makes it None. so weird like that makes everything so weird because you don't know what her state of mind is it's it's all seen through the eyes of these other characters these you know these guys who've been around her forever and people are like well it doesn't matter if there's a woman in the writer's room i think in this case it kind of does i agree we, we have to know we have to know what her perspective is on this stuff and i think yes. it's just, it was really weird that you needed to see her going mad if you're yeah, telling me you she's we need That's to right. It's it's like three hours of not yeah. having any idea what her her state of mind is, and that's this weird as hell for a, a you know an observer of the show. I think they thought that the battles is all are all that mattered. Yeah. And the truth of the matter is, is Tywin won a lot of battles. Rob Stark won a lot of battles, and we never saw any of it on film. That's right. I don't need it. We didn't need yeah. it. It wasn't the battle. Game of Thrones. No. No. It wasn't. It was the intrigue and it was all that stuff. Right. One last theory I want to get past you. Okay. I was listening to an interview with Martin where he talks about, and you've probably heard this as well. It's been making the rounds where mm -hmm. he talks about if you're writing a murder mystery and halfway through it, uh, the internet basically finds out who the murderer is. You can't <laughs> undo that because right. you've already laid all these breadcrumbs. Or if you decide to undo it, then you've got to write an entirely new narrative. Right. I think... I have a theory that he, that the the true end of this was was John. Whether it's John and Danny or whatever, it was going to be a happy ending. There was, you know, there was no reason to believe. And one last quick thing before I get into this: How about okay. Tyrion, who was the worst advisor in the history of advisors <laughs> and possibly right. tre treasonous? He's the one who gets all what that he wants. Yeah, and Bran's like, hey, but Tyrion's like, but I screwed up like a thousand times. And, and your penalty is the Bran's only like, job you've ever yeah, wanted. This time, you'll be fine. You'll figure it out. Right. The only job you've ever wanted, you can have that back. Right. What? No punishment yeah. for him? Yet John's yeah, got to, I mean, come on. So stupid. All right. If anybody should be going to the to the wall, it would it should be Tyrion after all. Absolutely. The way they portrayed him, absolutely. Completely incompetent. Yeah. yeah. Um, on Martin. Too many people. He lit. He by the when did he write the last book? God, I think it came out in 2011. Okay, 2011. All right, the last book is written in 2011. That is full blown internet age, right? Yeah. 
So now there are message boards that can deconstruct his books. Oh yeah, and they, and they can exp- they can theorize the R whatever it was R plus whatever equals J. Yeah, R yeah R, R, R plus L, L equals J. J. I want to tell you something though. R plus L equals J. People f- had figured that out. There were guys who were writing about that on internet message boards in like 2004, 2005. Like okay. people had figured that out way in advance. Okay. But maybe he doesn't become aware of it until later. Maybe he becomes aware of it in 2005, whatever. And he yeah. goes, oh shit. The reason they love this is because of all the surprises and how everything gets undercut. I gotta, I, it can't be John. Yeah. And I wonder if that's what's taken him 10 years to write this. I think it's because, because yeah. he has changed the damn story, trying to change the story based on what he's already written. I don't know. I don't know that he's changed the fundamentals of it, but I do think that he's psyched himself out about large portions of it. And he's, he's trying to make sure that he can justify the choices that he's made because it, George R. R. Martin said many times that it's like, this is, you know, the end is the end. And I, I had it. He gave a pitch actually to uh, his publisher in the nineties about all of this. And it's really interesting. You can, you can read it. It's <laughs> it exists in paper form at Texas A&M university. I'm not making this up. Uh, the original pitch that he made for Game of Thrones. And it's got all kinds of really interesting uh, character beats that clearly were changed. Like, for instance, uh, Arya and Jon were supposed to be a romantic uh, couple, right? And then Tyrion was going to be like their romantic rival or something like that. Danny really didn't factor into it. Um, there was just all kinds of weird character things that he did. And he clearly changed his mind on a ton of this stuff before he started writing. But he has talked multiple times about you know, kind of being locked into the decisions that he's made. Um, I just think he, I, I think he's worried about justifying it now. And, and and when it comes to like the reaction of the show and how people react to certain characters, like he says that he doesn't care, but I don't think that's the case. I think he absolutely does care. And I or agree with you. I think, yeah. Yeah. Do you and feel I, like I, as a book reader <clears throat> that Bran Stark is the end game? And that John's, parent, John's lineage doesn't mean anything? I, I actually think it might even be reversed where you've got Sansa in the South and then Bran in the North. That might make more sense. But no, I mean, Bran, like I said, he's a little kid. <laughs> you know, even, right. even if you extend out the timeline, he's going to be like 10, 12 by the time right. the, the entire series ends. Like, that's it. So I don't think that would even be possible. Um, yeah. There's got to be and I also think alterations. I can't see any scenario other than John had to be the one to kill the Night King. Yeah. And I don't, and again, I don't know even know how, again, there's no Night King in the books yet. I don't even know yeah. how the, the battle with the White Walkers would play out. My personal thought was that you're going to have a situation where like, if in the, and this is before I really got invested in the show. This is what I thought was going to happen in the books. I thought Danny is going to invade Westeros. And remember, she's not in the book. She's not the only army invading Westeros, right? There, there's actually a couple uh, that are invading Westeros at the same time she is. I thought Danny was going to invade Westeros coming on the heels of these other, uh, you know, these other invasions at the same time you had the white walkers coming from the North and just completely messing up and tearing everything else up. Like the North is going to be in complete disarray. They're not going to hear any information coming out of the North for months or maybe even years. And then when, you know, they start to kind of go through the neck and advance on King's landing and, and the Riverlands and all that other stuff. That's when everything just goes to hell. And John, you know, kind of comes back and, and they form this alliance with Danny. And then maybe eventually that falls apart. But I never separating. I guess what I'm saying is that I didn't expect them to separate the narrative of the White Walkers and the battle for the, the throne. Like, I thought that would all be wrapped up into the same yeah. thing. 
And I think to that separate those two narratives as the show did, I think really hurt them. I, I think they could have done it in a way that those they were intertwined and they didn't do that. And that really, when you have this demarcation of like, okay, well, we killed the Night's King and now we got to deal with this other stuff. It just, it weakened everything that came after it, especially yep. since it was so accelerated. Yep, I agree. All right. Let's do ask us anything, my friend. Yeah, let's do it. We got a couple questions about uh, our impressions of Game of Thrones. This one, Nate, I really appreciate this question. Nate from Perrysburg. Uh, he says, did Cersei's facial expressions, starting from the supreme confidence in the beginning of that episode, in which she died, obviously, uh, which then slowly morphed into worry and terror, remind you guys of Jake Plummer's similar expressions <laughs> during Ohio State's final drive in the 97 Rose Bowl? <laughs> Just for you, Jake. Yes. Yes, it did. That's exactly yeah. what I thought of. Exactly. You know that. what? Yeah. That's, yeah. How about Good job that? out of you. Both beautiful, too. Beautiful human I'm beings. sure they, that's right. They're very attractive human beings. Very attractive. I'm human. sure that's where, uh, what is it, Lena Headley? Is that her name? She yeah, was group. done. By the way, like her death deserved more than that. Oh, my God. Yeah. So much oh. more than that. Like she deserved a fiery death. Um, yeah. For that character, no. that was yeah. that was a really lame way to go out. It was really lame. Yeah, um, but I'm sure that's where she took her her uh, thematic inspiration, her acting inspiration was from yeah. Jake Palmer. Jake Palmer. <laughs> um, all right, so this is from Tim. Uh, Tim basically says he loves the show. He doesn't regret being a viewer, but he Neither feels like he just... Wait, say again? Neither do I. Yeah, I don't either. Look, it was, it was still an epic ride, and, and honestly, even if you don't like a lot of the more recent seasons the first four seasons or so are are some of the best television ever broadcast like it's incredible um i don't regret any of that and i'll I'll probably revisit honestly a lot of that because it was still like a really great show for a really long time yeah um all right so he feels like he just watched leonardo da vinci let a toddler with finger paints finish the mona lisa uh you get a painting but it's it's not quite the same so this question is for me he says uh, as a book reader, does Martin have to come out and say there will be a different ending in order for me to continue reading the series, uh, assuming they're completed, which that's thank you for putting that in parentheses, Tim. That's important addition. Uh, does he have to say it will be different to sell his books? I will still finish the series and I'll finish the series because that's a really easy thing for me to say, because I'm like 50 percent certain the next one will come out. And I'm like 5 percent certain we're going to get anything beyond that. So yeah, I'll finish the series. I'll finish yeah. whatever the hell else George R. R. Martin wants to put out there. Go for it, dude. I don't, you know, well, like, he'll be he should be motivated too. You would think that be, to do so because he's got all these people. The problem is he's too distracted. He's working on all these prequels. He's that's one of the right. writers on the prequels. He is, yeah. So that's a nightmare. Which, yeah, I look. I don't know if George R. R. Martin's ever going to finish the series. The truth is, is that he's still an excellent writer. And I know people make fun of him for a lot of stuff. He, you know, his overly long descriptions of food, which really, I mean, they just go on forever. And the fact that he likes to repeat words a lot and his really weird, uh, just kind of odd sex scenes that he writes occasionally. But he is also capable of some immensely beautiful writing and some incredibly well-realized characters like his every single one of the characters that he writes in the books is a real person that he's put some incredibly detailed thought into, you know, making yeah. them come alive on the page. I'll, I'll read whatever he writes just for that because he is really a talented writer. Um, but I'm also not going to be super invested in the outcome of like Stannis anymore. Right. Like before the, before, before Stannis died to 20 dudes from, you know, Ramsey or whatever, 
uh, I was he was one of my like, okay, man, I want to make sure Stannis gets a good end here. Uh, but now it's I'm not quite as invested in the characters, and that's a shame. But I'm still going to read. So you know, and I encourage other people to read. Like I said, it's, it's they're worthwhile books to pick up. They definitely are worthwhile yeah. books to pick. Up. And frankly, here's the other thing: if he okay, in a hypothetical world where George R. R. Martin gets off his butt and writes these books and finishes them, and you know, just completes the story, I have no doubt that it is going to end in a much more satisfactory way than what you saw on the screen, right? Couldn't be like, worse. Uh, there, well, I don't think so either, but he, you can't introduce all the plot elements, um, you know, that you would in a, a 1,100 page book and a, you know, a six episode season. So mm-hmm. I just, I have a lot of faith that whatever he ends up writing is going to still be pretty worthwhile and, 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 you know, a good read. So yeah, I'm definitely going to read. And that's, that's, ask us, that's ask us anything, both football and uh, Game of Thrones questions. Thrones. I guess we don't have any more. Any, I guess that's it. That's it. No more throne game, buddy. That's we a shame. Barry next year. <laughs> the most depressing thing I've ever had was the three minutes leading up to the series finale of Game of Thrones when they said, here's what's next on HBO, and they made you think like I was going to give a damn about any of it. <laughs> I mean, I cannot imagine like their subscriptions. I bet they lost half their subscriptions overnight. Hey, man, the- man I'm Look, I'm all in it for Barry. I'm not. I will, man. I will stand on Barry. You're right on Barry. That show, you got to watch that show, dude. Right. It's amazing. Give it a Chernobyl, shot. which is on tonight. Now. Chernobyl is legit. You got That's you gotta, just a mini series, right? Like you're is. never going like, to have. You're 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 probably just old enough to remember, but I don't know if you'd have been in on it at the beginning. But how big? The only other show I've ever seen like this was The Sopranos. I I was I kind of became more aware of it towards like the tail end of it. Yeah, so the Sopranos had this where the theorizing and the time in between seasons was just incredible. And and that's the only other show that's been like this where yeah. there was so much dialogue about it. So like I would like Billions, it's fine. I'll watch Billions, but no, I'm I'm not going in tomorrow to work and going, "Hey man, did you what do you think's going to happen here?" Like that it's right. not like this, you know, in that sense. And this show provided it, and it's because of the characters he created. And when they ran out of his narrative, they they ran out. Yeah, and that's that's going to be the epitaph for the show. It's like when we ran out of book, we kind of ran out of ideas, and that's yeah. that's unfortunate. Yeah, they had um, such good pacing, even all the way through season six. They really did. All, really, all the way through season six, it all felt very which is which that exceeded the books. Um, yeah. So there was a couple, that, I mean, things with Aria, the yeah. Aria stuff bogged down a so lot. So the last two episodes of season six are Battle of Bastards and the one that I explained, Winds of Winter, where right. we set sail and John's King of the North and Cersei blows up the Sept of Baylor. Like that is yeah. those two episodes back to back are nuts. Oh, and yeah. they hold like if the series stopped there, you almost see just a reset. If you think about what transpired in the la- in this season and in season seven with the absurd plan of of going north to bring a weight back <laughs> yeah like that's the plan i mean that those two seasons of incompetence it was almost like they made danny unbeatable so then they had to make her mad a lunatic and incompetent and have incompetent leaders people around her to right. minimize her and then in the end after all of that all she really needed was one dragon <laughs> right <laughs> so even all of that wasn't worth it Right. Yeah. Because she didn't lose right. in battle. I still think. I and still think part of that. They make it weak. Yeah. Because, I, because John kills her because she loves him. After all that. 
I still the things with the thing the thing with the dragons that they just didn't want to pay for the budget to animate all of them. I think that's a huge factor into that. But well, that's then that's it doesn't add up. I mean, I every, everything from HBO says they gave them unlimited. So yeah, I don't know. I mean, but not unlimited time, and that's that's the you issue. Did with not need all that bullshit. You didn't need it. Yeah, that's not why we loved it. Right. Exactly. Forty minutes exactly. of Drogon burning a city to the ground. That's not why you loved it. You love right. the stories. So. Well, right, I buddy. look forward to finding out how this all transpires in 25 years when we get <laughs> the last he? He's he's almost 70. So <laughs> Oh, he looks a lot older. So he's he got, does. Well, he could do it. Yeah. He's focused, he could do it. Yeah, I think he's in relative I mean he's he's a heavier dude, but I think he's in relatively good health and he gets around a lot. I just think he's super unfocused. I mean, the dude, have you seen his writing process? No. The guy writes on a like a 1982 amiga whatever computer and he 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 like he finger types like he types with one finger oh and he God. saves all this i'm not kidding i'm not making this up he saves all this stuff on like floppies just, oh my god like, this is the most archaic ridiculous crap in the world and he you know it takes him forever just to write a page because he's you know <laughs> he's like it's like he's dictating to somebody writing in morse code that's being sent to a passenger pigeon oh my like god. just hire a typist and just dictate i know just dictate and he won't do it so uh, yeah all right very good well we're back <laughs> next week either way my friend yeah we're back next week i'll talk to you next week all right sounds good buddy be good